Don't look back because the market is closed. Good Tuesday afternoon, everyone. Tyler Harris here with you for today's VRA Investing Podcast. Hope you all had a great day out there today. It was a pretty good day for our markets. We did finish higher across the board on the day today, although not huge gains on the day, uh, certainly not. But now all eyes are on tomorrow's FOMC meeting. So the FOMC meeting began today, but tomorrow we'll get the minutes. We'll get, of course, the unfortunate Q&A session with the rock star money printer himself, Jay Powell. Uh, But the probability still remains for a quarter percentage point hike tomorrow or 25 basis point hike, uh, roughly a 98% probability on that now. And surprising to see how high the probability is uh, for these Fed monitoring tools for not only this month, but the next Fed meeting, which is in September. So at least we get August off. We'll still have Jackson Hole. I believe they do that in August every year. So we'll still get that one. Uh, But there's a lot of people who still think that we're going to get another rate hike here at their following meeting after this July meeting. We don't think that that's going to be the case. Honestly, we think raising rates tomorrow is a mistake. We've said that since their last uh, quarter percentage point hike as well. We think that the June skip was a good one. We think they shouldn't have hiked rates in probably May or April of, of this year. But... The Fed's going to do what the Fed is going to do here. Um, I have one more point on. Oh, uh, the, the the basis of the 25-point hike in September. Uh, so just a few months ago, before June, I mean, it was just very similar, like 90% probability about a month away from the June meeting that they were going to hike rates by 25 basis points. As we got one every week, that we got closer to that meeting, those numbers dropped. So wouldn't be surprised to see that happen for September as well. Uh, But again, back to Jay Powell here, the money printing rock star. We referred to him and written it up as he is the worst Fed chair in the history of this corrupt establishment as a whole that we call the Federal Reserve here. I mean, think about just a few of the things he's gotten wrong in the last four to five years. Kicking it off, and this didn't even go back to the beginning of, of his uh, term as Fed chair. But the biggest one uh, really kicking it off was 2018, where he's hiked rates, lose nine straight times into a slowing economy. We called it from the very beginning. It was a get Trump type of deal. Uh, certainly seemed like it, leading to the 2018 December from hell, which culminated in a massive sell-off on Christmas Eve of 2018. So thanks for that Merry Christmas there, Jay Powell. Uh, from there, in into 2019 and 2020, you know, we had the repo crisis. And then when the, when the government decided to shut down for uh, COVID lockdowns, he gave, Jay Powell gave the U.S. government the green light. He said, we, we can, you can print more money. We have more room here. And to some extent, he's right compared to countries like China. Their debt to GDP ratio is far worse than ours. Same with Japan. And they've been printing money like crazy. So he gave the government the green light to print as much as they wanted as well. Give out stimulus checks to keep people at home. Uh, whatever they wanted to do, he'd go right along with it. Remember that 60 Minutes interview that he did. I, I can never forget this. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth at least this snippet 
where he asks, uh, the interviewer asks him, so, you know, what do you, where does this money come from? A lot of people have said, you're just digitally printing dollars. And he said, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We're just creating them out of thin air, digital dollars. They're not printing anything. They just go straight into the electronic ether out there. And boom, you have money to buy whatever you want. Uh, not to mention, after that, despite printing all of this money, knowing what money printing does, he still had the, the nerve to say, as inflation was starting to spike up, and all of the Fed cronies said it as well, that inflation is transitory. How many times do we have to hear that before they finally said, oh, all right, we've got a problem here? Because that was not long after that we was followed by a parabolic surge in inflation, 41-year highs in inflation. Just, I mean, as soon as they said it, they got the call wrong. Everybody could see it as well. It was transitory. What are you talking about? Right? Everyone else saw it except for the Fed, of course. And we say this a lot too. They're in an echo chamber there. When you have a lot of people's salaries who depend on telling their bosses what they want to hear, you're not going to, you're not going to get the best answers in that. And so now they're on this crusade to end this 41 year high in inflation, which has resulted in the fastest rate hiking policies in recent history. Now, what that will do to our, our economy and to our markets, we still have to find out here because we have not felt the effects of all of the Fed rate hikes and they're still talking about raising rates despite the fact that we've now seen disinflation for just about most of the year. Going back to the peak from last year, which is just a year ago, that we got the peak in inflation, which is exactly why we've said for the last few months, we're about to see inflation fall off a cliff, especially looking at the year-over-year -year numbers. It's not going to come back down to pre-COVID levels, but could it come down to below where we were this time last year? Absolutely. It's on a fast track to do so. Um, and we think that will remain the case as long as the Fed doesn't break something, which is the biggest concern about them continuing to write, hike rates here. So that just names a few, though, of these major policy errors that we've seen under Jay Powell, and they wonder why they have a credibility issue. I mean, it may have something to do with these major policy errors. No one trusts the Fed. I don't know anybody. I know people who used to work for the Fed that talk about how much they don't trust the Fed. Just to give you an example there. I mean, that's why we call him the money printer. He's just not a strong Fed chairman. He just digitally creates dollars. He's the money printing rock star, just like his predecessors, Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke. I mean, he's taking pages straight out of their playbook. This really not even any original ideas from Jay Powell. So take a look at this. Here's an example. From June of 1960 to August of 1990, 30 years the Fed's balance sheet increased from $53 billion to $309 billion. That's a big increase. That's an increase of 483%, but it was at least over the course of 30 years. Now, during the 10 years of Bernanke, Yellen, and Jay Powell, just three Fed chairmen, the Fed's balance sheet has exploded beyond what you could even believe. These numbers are too big to even wrap your head around. The Fed's balance sheet has gone from $805 billion in February of 2006 when Ben Bernanke took over to most recently, the most recent reading is July 19th. The Fed's balance sheet, and it's come down a little bit, is $8.3 trillion. 
$1,000 with a T. That's an increase of 931% in just over 17 years. So you see the huge discrepancy in today's Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve from yesteryear. I mean, just absolutely astonishing what they have done. And these academics, because they've really never contributed much more to society other than academic literature, uh, which in times of crisis is best used for a fire. Um, <laughs> the, they, but they seem to wonder why the U.S. dollar has lost 98% of its purchasing power. Uh, go riddle me that. You know what, what do you think it is when you look at numbers like that? But that brings us back to tomorrow. Well, you know, looking very likely, almost 98% probability that we'll get a quarter percentage point hike for rates. Uh, again, our review, our view remains the same that we haven't felt the effects of all the previous hikes. It usually takes at least 12 months for the effects to be fully felt. So this is likely resulting in another major policy error from Jay Powell here. Luckily for him, the economy remains resilient here. Whether you're looking at consumer confidence, unemployment numbers, uh, credit, uh, credit card debt, consumer credit scores. I mean, there's so many reasons why this economy has remained so strong. If you're willing to look for the reasons, you will find them. But if you want to find the batteries, there's just as many of those that tell us we're going to have an economic collapse as well. Unfortunately, for the bears, those their statistics most of the time don't outweigh the, the amazing numbers I just mentioned, whether it's employment, savings, consumer confidence, all these things. So overall, the economy remains on good footing here. Let's see if the Fed can keep it that way, though. All right, so that said, we also got a lot of earnings here today, so let's jump into that as well. It's got an exciting week for earnings this week. This morning, we had Verizon reporting on earnings, beating on estimates, both top and bottom line. 3M beating on earnings for share and revenue as well. The big one here, you might think it's a tech name, it was actually Pulte Homes this morning, crushing earnings. Big beat on earnings per share. Revenue rose 6.7% year over year. And the biggie, new orders, up 24% year over year. Today, Pulte Homes hitting a 52-week high, up 6.2% on the day, over 6.2%. That's exactly what we like to see because we also look at housing as a leading economic indicator. And so to see the home builders doing well, you know, still right at 52-week highs. They hit a number of those, even all-time highs earlier this year, not long ago at all. That's exactly what we want to see if you're long this market. And so after this morning's earnings, uh, which I said we got a lot of beats there, we've now had 122 S&P companies reporting for uh, sec the second quarter. So far, 81% have beat earnings for share estimates and 63% have topped sales expectations as well. So Clearly coming in much better than expected. We've got a lot of pushback on saying that we were going to have strong Q2 earnings. Here we are looking pretty good. And this afternoon, we got some more. We had Alphabet after the close reporting a beat on earnings per share estimates and revenue estimates as well. The stock last time I checked was up over 5% in after hours trading. Let's get a quick refresh on that. Stock is now up almost 8% in after hours trading for Alphabet after their big beat after the close. Microsoft was up on the day-to-day, -day, um, but reported uh, 
a beat on revenue and earnings per share. Still a lot of uncertainty there, whether it's this Activision deal, their cloud department. Uh, they did see revenue climbing 8% year over year, but the stock is now down 1% in after hours trading. Texas Instrument Instruments reporting a beat down a little in after hours trading, but Snapchat, the real loser on the day today, Reporting slight beats here, but it's not the news that matters. It's the market's reaction to that news. Snapchat, last time I checked, was down nearly 18% in after hours trading, 17.8%. Overall, though, good day-to-day -day for earnings. I know I covered a couple of the losers there at the end, but for the most part, a lot of beats here. And as I covered with those earnings scout uh, statistics, I mean, big beats for the 122 companies that had reported as of this morning. Uh, we'll update you as that number, those numbers get updated with today's earnings as well. But what matters the most, the market's reaction to the news and today, to this morning's earnings at least, the reaction was pretty good. We didn't finish at our highs of the day like you would like to see for the market. We got a little bit of a sell-off into the close, likely a little profit-taking ahead of some uncertainty with the FOMC meeting tomorrow. But not a bad day, certainly, as we finish with all of our major sector indexes higher on the day. Uh, even if just slightly, NASDAQ up 6 tenths of 1% to 14,144. Next up, the S&P 500 up 0.28% to 4,567. Uh, next up was the Dow Jones, which just wrapped up its 12th positive session in a row today, up just barely but enough to make it 12 days in a row, 0.08% or 26 points on the Dow to 25,438. Let me get a quick run here. That is a 52-week high from the Dow Jones. That's exactly what we want to see. And I'll get into some of the rotational uh, aspects of this bull market here in our sector watch that we've talked so much about. Uh, I'll cover it here in a second as well. But again, 12 positive sessions in a row. Uh, and when you get a winning streak like this, it's very bullish for what we're going to see from the next year of the market. Um, Ryan Dietrich did this work, I believe, going back to World War II, when you've had 12 positive sessions in a row, the market has only been lower one year later, which could be explained by the 1987 Black Friday crash, which actually would have turned out to be a great buying opportunity then. Um, but that's the only instance where the market was lower one year later. But so going back to this rotational aspect, because now, as we've talked about, value names have been leading. We've seen the Dow go on a great run here, 12 days in a row, 52 week highs. Uh, we've seen the transports go on a hell of a run. Same with small caps as well. Now, they've hit overbought readings. And at overbought readings like this, that's when we typically get a pause from the market. So here's where the rotational aspect comes in, because we've had tech leading all year, uh, NASDAQ with the best gains on the year, semis even better. So when those areas, our leadership, got to overbought territory, that's when we saw value names start to perform. You see people rotating out of the overbought names into the unloved names, sending them higher, so holding our markets up as well. Uh, <clears throat> that's all part of a very healthy bull market. And so now that we have the Dow, S&P, small caps at overbought levels and the NASDAQ is leading, once again, leading the way, that's the sign of a very healthy bull market. And not only did NASDAQ lead the way, the semis led tech as well, up 1.6% on the day-to-day. -day. So good day there. Lastly here, small caps 
just barely finishing positive, up 0.02% to 1,966. Next up here, looking at our internals on the day, we didn't like the action here today, to be completely honest, but we did get a couple of bright spots. Starting off, we had just slightly more advancing stocks than declining stocks for the NYSE, but we were negative for the NASDAQ, just barely though. Our bright spot on the day was 52-week highs to lows coming in with 123 stocks hitting 52-week highs on the NYSE to just 15 hitting 52-week lows. And for the NASDAQ, 137 stocks hitting 52-week highs, not quite as good as we had 106 stocks hitting 52-week lows there. Lastly, volume was our weak spot on the day, which is not what you want to see. Negative for both the NYSE and the NASDAQ, but not by big numbers, but still not what you want to see there. So we'd love to see this rotation continue into tech. The tech NASDAQ internals weren't great last week either. They were strong for the NYSE. They've been leading since we got to those overbought levels. We'd like to see that rotation start to begin now. Um, all right, next we'll take a look at our sectors on the day today. Where we didn't have great readings here either, we finished with, let's see here, there we go, five out of our 11 S&P 500 sectors higher on the day, but we did get a 52-week high from our leader on the day, materials surprisingly, hitting a 52-week high today, followed there by tech energy, it was after that, oil having a big day today as well, and communication services. And then our laggards on the day were real estate, which may sound surprising because I was just talking about how good home builders are doing. But the real estate sector is made up of REITs, not the home builders. Uh, so a little different look at that industry from here. But after that, we're, the financials were all laggard on the day as well. After Bank of California announced a deal to buy PacWest in an all-stock deal, but Investors didn't seem to like that news. PacWest was down nearly 27% on the day-to-day. -day. Uh, you know, no love loss from this group here. Uh, but they've had a nice run as well, and we do want to see them participate overall uh, to have a healthy bull market. After the financials were the consumer discretionary and industrial stocks lagging on the day-to-day. -day. Finally for today, our VRA Commodity Watch. Let me get a refresh on my screens here. Gold now up just over two-tenths of 1% 1 to 1,966. Next up, silver up nicely 1.14% to $24.86 an ounce. Next up, copper up 1.79% to $3.92 a pound. And oil up th uh, three-quarters of 1% on the day to $79.34, trying to get to that $80 a barrel mark here, but that is multi-month highs from uh <clears throat> crude that is uh that's the highest level since april of this year uh this is a group that's had some false breakouts this year i mean we had an incredible last two years for energy and the general rule of thumb is last year's laggards can often become this year's winners so that's a little bit of what we're seeing here some profit taking and rotation out of that group over the last year or so but once we get back to the point where oil's back above $100 a barrel, we don't know if we'll ever get back below that level again, especially when you start to look at rig counts dropping, which hadn't been at a significant level yet. That will actually bring rig counts back up uh, as we'll have more economic economic wells there that way. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. We'll continue to report on it here. That's a group that we do remain bullish on though overall. And finally for today, Bitcoin now up 
just under three tenths of one percent to twenty nine thousand two hundred and twenty seven. Folks, that's all that we have time for here today. Please be sure to subscribe to our VRA Investing Podcast every day at the market close. You can sign up at VRAinsider.com. Click the podcast link at the top, and we'd love to have you with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the close.